Hello, my friends and brothers and sisters around the world. Boy, am I excited about today's show. I'll tell you what, bluegrass has always been one of my favorites. I've got so much to tell you about and to play for you some of the greatest bluegrass. <laughs> hey, they can't wait to get started. Let's go with the Foggy Mountain Breakdown. Not Breakdown, Breakdown. Here they are. my friends foggy mountain breakdown and like i mentioned in the beginning i wasn't really truly sure where to start now for those of you who are listening that aren't bluegrass aficionados or bluegrass fans i advise you to stay tuned my friends because i'm going to try and share with you as much as i can about the genre about our bluegrass music and the groups and the people that made it happen and when I first started hearing it and playing it, uh, quite frankly, I was really enamored by all of the musicians that were in my band uh, in the early years, all came from down east, from Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, New Brunswick, and they all played uh, acoustic style guitars or whatever. And I learned from them a little bit more about bluegrass because I was doing a song that I loved, Mule Skinner Blues, and I had picked up on it uh, from uh, a group called the Fenderman. And uh, hey, over the years, my education progressed. Uh, my musicians taught me a lot about bluegrass, and I learned, I, I learned to come and love it. Uh, I love banjo pickers. <laughs> I heard a definition the other day of a of of a, what a true gentleman is is a guy that knows how to play banjo and doesn't. <laughs> oh, oh, banjo has taken such a brutal beating over the years. Anyway, uh, I will digress probably several times because I got to know so many of the bluegrass pickers and. Uh, when I first met this man that I'm going to introduce to you for the first time for many, but many of you know him, but he was uh, crowned with the title Father of Bluegrass. Uh, 
And I truly didn't realize when I first met him that I was in the presence of an incredible uh, human being. I knew he was a great musician, but I, I was backstage at the Opry getting ready to make my, I think my second or third appearance. And uh, I sat down next to Bill Monroe, who's, this is the man I'm talking about. And he was sitting there with his mandolin and uh, he said, hey, there, youngin', what do you do? And I said, well, uh, I think tonight I'm going to yodel. He said, well, that's quite a challenge, youngin'. Uh, what are you going to yodel? And I told him, he says, that's an even harder one. Anyway, uh, we chatted for a few minutes, and, uh, and then they called my name, and, and out I went. And I came back. And there he was standing up, and he said, sit you down. Because he had been out there listening to what I did. And he said, sit you down, young'un. He says, you did yourself good. You did yourself fine. And that was a real incredible compliment I had from this band. And he proceeded to tell me about his mandolin that he was playing and over the years, a few years that I got to know him and uh, worked with him on one occasion at one of the many uh, absolutely incredible uh, shows that they have, particularly in the South, I'll tell you a little bit more about him. But hey, right now, hey, enough of the talk, Blake. Uh, here's Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. <laughs> Till the break of day When they call her a holler Don't she know You knew Uncle Pin Was ready to go Lady in a bassin Soldier Joe and one of Boston boy, the greatest of all was Jenny Lynn, and that's where filling again. And in evening about some down, howling in the town, Uncle Ben played a fiddle on the how but rang you, he heard talk, you did sing. Forget that mournful day when Uncle Finn was called away. They hung up his fiddle, they hung up his bow, they knew it was time for him to go. Hey, in the bathroom down the hall, he in the bow, Uncle Finn played a fiddle on a halberd ring, you'd hear talk, you'd hear it sing. To this day, my friends, I surely and truly won't forget that evening that I first met Bill Monroe. At that time, I was just talking to him like you'd talk to your dad or, or some older gentleman at the time, uh, not realizing how truly great he was. This man was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as an early influence. Jimmy Rogers, uh, Bob Wills, Johnny Cash, uh, Hank Williams Sr., and the, uh, they're the only other performers honored in all three of those categories. So many others, like I think it was 1993, he got the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. 
and was awarded the National Medal of Arts in 1995. Uh, that song of his, Blue Moon of Kentucky, that's been covered by so many people, including rock and rollers like Elvis and Paul McCartney and Patsy Cline. Uh, oh, I could go on and on. But he was voted, uh, or he's been ranked as number 16 on the country music 40 Greatest Men of Country Music. What can I say? Other than the fact that uh, I believe over the years there was over 150 uh, man musicians that took part in the uh, band that Bill Monroe, uh, Bill Monroe called the Bluegrass Boys and <laughs> hey, Lester Flatt, Earl Scruggs uh, were a couple of them. Jimmy Martin... Uh, someone that I know played Canada a lot, uh, Mac Wiseman, uh, so many that were influenced by the group that was surrounding Bill Monroe that he had put together. Uh, so many instrumentalists. Uh, for those of you that are musicians, you'd recognize the names like Buck Trent, uh, Vassar Clements, some that I know of and have met over the years, but he uh, he even performed with that flat-picking guitar guy, Doc Watson. And on the show today, I'm going to try and play uh, some of the music of some of the groups that became who they were, all because of the influence of Bill Monroe, known as the father of bluegrass. And hey, speaking of an influence, uh, a lot of us watched a television show called The Beverly Hillbillies way back. Hey, you remember that one? And what was the music that was played at the front of it? That was Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs. Uh, hey, they played that come listen to my fell, ba 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 about a man named Jed. <laughs> Poor mountaineer. Hey, that was bluegrass, my friends. So why not play Flattened Scruggs. Here's one that I first heard during the folk music era uh, back in British Columbia when I was playing a place called the Bunkhouse. Uh, a lot of the folk singers would play this one, never realizing that it got its start with bluegrass. Hey, like I said, here's Flattened Scruggs. Solid 
And there you have Flatt and Scruggs, Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs, who played, uh, I think, during 48, 49, somewhere along there. Uh, they worked for Bill Monroe. Uh, that's where, uh, particularly, Earl Scruggs, he became famous for that new finger-style picking of banjo playing that he had. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later on, I think, if I get time. But, hey, so much of the influence in bluegrass came from Bill Monroe. And uh, one of the songs that I mentioned to you earlier was Mule Skinner Blues. Now we're going to step way, way back. And he wasn't bluegrass, but I want to play him because that song transgressed or uh, proceeded or grew over the years uh, recorded by so many different people. Uh, but hey, uh, the bluegrass influence on it uh, started out for this guy uh, that I mentioned that was in those three categories as a Hall of Fame member. And I mentioned the name Jimmy Rogers. And of course, a lot of people will think uh, Jimmy Rogers of our era or when I was a kid uh, with Honeycomb. No, this is Jimmy Rogers with Blue Yodel number eight that became, <laughs> hey, we'll tell you about what it became. You'll recognize once you hear the original Jimmy Rogers. Good morning, Captain. Good morning, Sean. Do you need another mule skinner out on your new mud line? I like to work, I'm rolling all the time. I can pop my initials on a mule's behind. Hey, little water boy, bring that water around. If you don't like your job, set that water bucket down. Working on the good roads, darling, half a day My good gal's waiting on Saturday night just to draw my pay That was Jimmy Rogers, the original Jimmy Rogers. And that was Blue Yodel number eight that got to be known as Mule Skinner Blues over the years. But he did about 
13, I believe, 13 uh, yodel numbers. One, two, three, four, and that was number eight. But you'll notice that uh, there was just him playing guitar, and what happened was uh, they had originally assigned him, uh, wanted him and his band, his group, and uh, him and his band and group got into a little bit of a kerfuffle, and uh, hey, Jimmy went up there and <laughs> did it all himself, and the rest is history. Uh, back in those days, sold like over half a million. <laughs> hey, and nowadays, I don't know how many guys would have enough guts to go into the studio just with a guitar and sing and play other than just for a demo. But to release it nationally, well, that certainly wouldn't happen these days, my friends. But what happened with that song over the years? Hey, bluegrass groups picked up on it. And hey, let me play one for you now. Uh, with that particular song we're talking about, uh, the, the Blue Yodel number eight became Mule Skinner Blues and a smash hit for these guys, the Osborne Brothers. in my madness for playing Sonny and Bobby 
the Osborne Brothers. Uh, with that particular song, Mule Skinner Blues, hey, they had a lot of smash hits, like Up This Hill and Down, uh, Ruby Are You Mad? But uh, hey, the one that really stands out, of course, here in Tennessee is Rocky Top. As a matter of fact, every time there's a home game uh, for the Tennessee Vols, uh, they play Rocky Top all day long. <laughs> I don't know how many times it gets played, but I've happened to be over there uh, in particular when uh, I noticed that that's all they were playing that day. But it was uh, uh, Sonny and Bobby doing Rocky Top. But I don't want to get too far away from uh, the original, what we were talking about, Mule Skinner Blues. I want to play one more for you. But uh, on a, another show, uh, another adventure of uh, my good old country, I'll play some more of the Osborne Brothers. Just uh, drop us a note at mygoodoldcountry at gmail.com uh, with your requests. And hey, we'll play more of whatever it is that you want uh, traditional country or bluegrass, uh, you name it, I'll try and get it on the show. But I want to do one more version of Mule Skinner Blues that was, hey, another smash hit. So for you guys that are out there writing songs, you just never know. That song has been around since the late, uh, early 30s and been recorded by so many different artists. But here's, here's, here's one of my favorites. I just love her. Here's a version of Mule Skinner Blues that I love.
what can I say, my friends? I just had to play Dolly's version of that. Uh, it wasn't exactly bluegrass, but hey, it's the song that started out way back in the 30s and was carried on and became a hit again. And then Dolly had another hit on it. Uh, <laughs> what For all of those of you that are out there thinking about writing something, writing a song, hey, you just don't know who's going to pick up on it. That one was recorded, as I said earlier, by so many different people. Well, I'll give you an example of one right now. Jim and Jesse, okay? That's a brother duo. They, uh, I think they had the, the longest active professional uh, brother duet in country music history, 55 years. I met them, oh, back in the 80s. And, hey, they had all kinds of bluegrass hits, country hits, uh, I, what they would do is is take a, a song that was a pop song or or just a good song and do a bluegrass version of it. And I'm sure that those of you that are listening that are in my age bracket will recognize this one. Uh, it's the Jim and Jesse version of Alone With You. Jim and Jesse McReynolds, an incredible duo, like I said, together for 55 years. And then as fate would have it, uh, both of them, in 2002, both were diagnosed, diagnosed with uh, different types of cancers. And Jesse's battle was successful, but uh, Jim died in 2002 at the age of 75. So, my friends, uh, a duet, brothers, and how many times on my show I've talked about and cancer took him or her. And you wonder, hey, who's a... I remember George Jones had a song out, Who's Gonna Fill Their Shoes? Well, in uh, my research for what I was going to play on today's show... Uh, boy, I came across something, and I made a couple of calls, and sure enough, there are some young people out there that are carrying on uh, bluegrass, and I mean big time. 
They're incredible. They call themselves the Cotton Picking Kids. Give a listen. the cotton-picking kids. Uh, if it's the first time you've heard them, I don't believe it's going to be the last time. And normally I don't do this, but I'll tell you what. I've been so inspired by their family story. Those five that you heard playing uh, range in the ages from 11 to 19. Savio, Teresa, Cecilia, Rosalinda, Giambrio and Giovanni. Now, uh, for those of us that live in the north or in the east, you might think it's an Italian family, which I believe they are, 
But uh, they're not what I would call the Italian family like we're used to seeing on television or whatever. They're the progeny of Fabio and Elizabeth Cipollari. They live in Cullman, Alabama. And those five kids were all homeschooled. Now, here's the topper. There's five more that are younger than them. So in other words, a family of ten, all homeschooled, uh, and they just get along together. The music brings to them, brings them together. Are they bluegrass? Yes. But I've also learned their gospel and their country. They're all of those things. And for those of us that remember when your mom and dad wanted you to learn how to play piano or whatever, uh, in my case, it was guitar and, uh, they, my family, nobody wanted me to do it because <laughs> I was terrible at the start. Still am terrible, but I have people that help me. My point is, is in listening to them, it changed my whole thoughts about what I wanted to talk about today uh, in that what an incredible family. And like I said, inspirational. And oh yeah, how did they get the name Cotton Picking Kids? Well, from what I learned from talking with Fabio, they had uh, entered in several talent contests and uh, at fairs and things like that where they have talent shows and whatever. And they got to this one of the first ones and the lady that was signing everybody up uh, said, and what's the name of the group? And he said, well, we don't have a name. And she says, what do you mean? It, it, on here it says you have to have a name. And uh, I guess the older boy had filled out the paperwork and left that blank. And uh, Fabio was trying to think of what to say, what to call him. And uh, he just muttered away. He says, I don't know. We didn't know that they were supposed to have it, a name. And he says, oh, those cotton-picking kids of mine. And the lady said, well, that'll do. <laughs> and that's how they got the name. And believe me, friends, uh, look up their web. They've got a website. They've got a couple of albums. They sell stuff. In other words, this is a family industry sparked by the music that they play. And I wish them nothing but success, uh, of which they have. Uh, success is always in your own mind, and they're happy doing what they're doing. And like I said, an inspiration to me and other uh, you young people that might be listening, uh, hopefully uh, maybe you're catching this on my podcast so you can replay it for some young person that you know or love. Uh, just remember, the cotton-picking kids. And I'm thinking in future years when the other five grow up, already I think they said the, the two-year-old is already uh, playing drums or, or, or whatever. Uh, and with 10 of them, there might be enough to call themselves the cotton-picking orchestra. <laughs> I look them up, my friends. Uh, you won't be uh, uh, unsatisfied when you see them. Such a handsome lot, too. And so, my friends, speaking of family, uh, why well, I say we kind of changed horses a little bit here, uh, it made me think of two guys... Uh, they were family, all right. Uh, they were known as the Lilly Brothers. Uh, at least that's how they came to be known. But they were uh, brothers B and I think it's Everett, yeah, uh, who started in West Virginia uh, playing uh, bluegrass. And how do we start playing? Hey, because that's what you did. It's kind of like down east in Canada. It's what you did when you get together. You played music. And in those days, uh, banjo, fiddle, all of that, that was bluegrass. But uh, it wasn't popular in a lot of states, but here's what happened. These two young guys moved to Boston. And <laughs> that's when, uh, well, they were called, they called themselves at the time the Confederate Mountaineers. Uh, there's a handle for you. And it was between the 50s and the 70s that they were a dominant factor in the bluegrass world. But uh, 
when I say they moved uh, east uh, into urban Massachusetts, I think it's somewhere around there, and nobody had ever heard anything like that before. And here come the Lilly brothers doing what they do. And that was back in the, the days when uh, folk music and bluegrass, they kind of came uh, together. I noticed it a lot even in, in British Columbia at the bunkhouse uh, where we first heard some people that played bluegrass uh, instead of just like the traditional uh, folk music. But they put the bluegrass twist on a lot of what were uh, traditional folk music songs. And so I'm going to play one for you right now. Like I said, it's kind of in keeping with the fact that they kept it in the family. But they were credited with making and introducing bluegrass to northeastern United States. Here's the Confederate, <laughs> the Confederate Mountaineers, who sometime, somehow, between the 50s, somewhere along about the 60s, uh, they started known, uh, be known as the Lilly Brothers. And as a matter of fact, when I first met them, they were billed still as uh, they would put the uh, Confederate Mountaineers in one line, and then in bigger print the Lelly brothers and that's when I first saw them I was visiting a friend up in Boston and he said hey Blinker I know you like country and uh you like how do you feel about bluegrass I said I love it and he said well there's a couple of guys that are playing and we went to this club and it was standing room only uh, in other words we basically had to line up to get in but it was worth it and uh hey I'm going to play one that they played that night, and it was a crossover between an old folk song and bluegrass. But here's the twist. Here's the Confederate Mountaineers or the Lilly Brothers. There you have it, my friends, the Lilly Brothers, who were responsible for bringing 
bluegrass to the northeastern United States. And, of course, they were influenced way, way back. Uh, it just seemed to carry on. It's like the bluegrass people are like family. And you remember when we started our show, I talked about Bill Monroe. Well, one of the things, uh, he, like I said, he had a hundred over 150 different, uh, we'll call them artists, musicians, who were part and parcel of his band. But one of those that broke off and became quite famous, uh, I mentioned Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs. And uh, why why they call them, it was uh, the Virginia boys, the Tennessee boys, and they always related to the fact the boys. <laughs> well, Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs got together. Uh, it was in, I think they played with uh, Bill Monroe's Bluegrass Boys, from about 45 to like 45, 48. And uh, then they formed their own duo, uh, just like the Lilly Brothers, a duo with other musicians, of course, in the background. And uh, they started out, and they were one of the first, the premier bluegrass groups uh, to hit a national status. And they called themselves... The Foggy Mountain Boys. <laughs> uh, that included, of course, backup bands. Anyway, I'm going to play you a song that uh, didn't include any Foggy Mountain Boys or Flat and Scrub because we've already played them. But it's a song that was a big smash hit. But I want to play a version that I love most of all because I got to know them. I was so fortunate. Uh, we became friends over the years. Uh, we used to pitch horseshoes every Tuesday night out at my place with String Bean. And uh, uh, for those of you who know him as uh, String Bean, we lost him. Uh, uh, that's a whole other story. But the joy for me to be around him and have him introduce me to so many, uh, just matter of fact, and uh, I, on my show, on the Funny Farm, uh, he was one of the reasons why when we did the scene where we were sitting around my tack room and I played banjo. Ha, <laughs> did I play banjo. All I could do was make chords. I never, ever did take the time or learn how to pick like this guy did. But he brought it back to popularity, I think. Uh, was instrumental in it, for sure. Uh, for that show that so many of us grew to love, uh, at first, when it first came out, uh, everybody thought it was they were going to hate it. But, uh, hey, hee-haw, that was another show that made uh, bluegrass and country more popular than ever. And here's one of the guys that was the mainstay playing a song that, uh, like I said, my version of one that so many people have cut. But, hey, I think it was what I would call the first drinking song to air. Here's Grandpa Jones. Bill's got a steal on 
Grandpa Jones singing one of the all-time favorite drinking songs. <laughs> I remember playing it in clubs. Everybody sang along with it. I'm sure some of you that are listening right now sang along with it, too. You ever noticed that in bluegrass, most of the songs, 99% of them that I know of, all had a storyline, a real storyline. Some of them, uh, from what I've learned, were written that were truthful stories uh, that were put to music, so that uh, kind of like in memoriam, um, as and always with the dominant fiddle and banjo. That's the dominant thing about bluegrass. Uh, let me play one more here from uh, Hey, the father of bluegrass, who I mentioned earlier on that I had the joy and true pleasure of meeting. Here's one of those story songs that so many of you will remember. I'm going to send it out to Joni. Uh, she is uh, one of those that are in the snow. <laughs> Joan, hope you enjoy Bill Monroe. country just flew by i hope you've enjoyed the stories and the songs and some of my stories hope i wasn't too long-winded for a lot of you but what a joy it was for me to introduce you to or to let you hear bluegrass then and now and uh hey i'm gonna close off today with a bluegrass version not our theme song our normal theme song but one hey that brian scar used to honk out is so big of a request on all of our shows and here it is played so well so my friends just remember if you think of what really counts in life it's a pretty decent place to start so love somebody every day and love yourself along the way i'm blake Emmons. My Good Old Country is created by the sole ownership of the Wounded Warriors Weekend Foundation. The Wounded Warriors Weekend Foundation is a not-for-profit company dedicated to the benefit of our servicemen and women worldwide. To learn more about Wounded Warriors Weekend, 
Camp Independence and Canines R Us, please go to WoundedWarriorsWeekend.org.